Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The power of and is the theme of this year's Mackinac Policy Conference, emphasizing the idea that collaboration and cooperation may be better ways to solve our problems than hyperpartisanship or worse. We're going to kick off our conversations with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan, and Senate Majority Leader Winnie Brinks. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. WDET's live broadcast of Detroit Today from the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference is made possible by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. That noise you hear in the background is the din of all of our business and political and philanthropic leaders, media folks, in the background here at the dining room in the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Yes, it is time again for the Mackinac Policy Conference, the annual trip north for us to be able to spend some time, extended time, talking about the things that work in our state, the things that don't work, the things that we could make work better. This is my 16th time here on Mackinac Island, and when I think about some of the things that have been accomplished during this conference, it always blows my mind just a little bit. I know a lot of folks wonder what happens when business and political and media and philanthropic leaders get together up here. But you can think of several things that you know about in our state that happened because of the gathering here. Let's start with the grand bargain that allowed Detroit to exit bankruptcy in 2013. That deal came together up here on Mackinac Island. What about the bridge that we're all watching rise from the ground and stretch across the Detroit River to Canada. I remember how tense the negotiations were in the run-up to that, and I remember the deal that got made up here over several days of really, really collaborative work. And if you go back even further, GM deciding that it was going to move its headquarters to the Rensen on the Detroit River. That deal came together up here on Mackinac Island. There's something about being here. There's something about being with everybody else who's here. There's something about not being able to get away from people up here. I think that lends itself to the idea of solutions, solutions that weren't possible at home, solutions that we maybe had not thought of. This year, the theme is the power of and, and I think that's a perfect theme for all of the Mackinac policy conferences, this idea that if we sit together, if we respect each other, understand our differences, we can come up with solutions. We need more of that here in Michigan. 
not less. And so over the next few days, we will be talking with the participants here at the Mackinac Policy Conference about the power of and what does that mean to them? What are they thinking about as they get ready to talk about our problems and our challenges and our successes here on Mackinac Island? Our first guest is someone who is right in the middle of uh, some of the arguments about solutions and problems here in Michigan. Uh, Senator Winnie Brinks is the majority leader for uh, the Michigan Senate. She is a Democrat. Is the first time in a really long time. I can say that about our Senate here in Michigan. She joins us now to talk about uh, Mackinac and uh, the legislature. Uh, Senator, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah. Yes, it's really great to have you here. Um, uh, let's start. I, I always start with, uh, with this question up here. What's your agenda this week? What are you focused on and what do you think is possible to, to happen while everybody is here together? Yeah, I think you did a fantastic job of kind of giving a summary and taking a look back for many years, more years than I have been here. Um, I think this is my third conference, old. maybe. So, yeah, well, me too. Uh, but the um, uh, the concept that this is a place where we can be together outside of the fray of Lansing um, and really find some opportunities to work together on the big issues that face our state is real. So um, I'm really looking forward to being able to have those conversations. I think this is um, an obvious opportunity to talk about economic development and for us as Senate Democrats, for us to be able to talk about a holistic approach to economic development uh, that impacts every single person in our state in a positive way. Uh, that's our goal, really. So all of the conversations that we can have to set the stage for that um, are what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. So uh, you you guys have gotten an enormous number of things done, I feel like, in the first few months of uh, Democrats having full control of the legislature for the first time in almost four decades. Um, we're in the middle of budget season, though, and uh, I, I'm interested in just hearing more about how that goes right um typically that that that's a pretty tense argument um budgets are moral documents though and there's a lot of policy making that gets done in the negotiating and in the, in the crafting of the budget so give us a sense of what you guys are thinking about and looking at as you try to put together a budget and then and then get it passed in both chambers. Yeah, I think with our agenda that we accomplished, as you mentioned, uh, you know, in our first 100 days, we had an unprecedented period of productivity. Uh, we were able to establish some uh, more tax fairness that looks out for the little guy, retired folks and working families. Uh, we were able to signal that Michigan is a place where uh, people should feel welcomed and belong uh, and establish uh, rights for LGBTQ people, establish um, uh, um, rights for reproductive health so that everybody can make their own choices. So we are setting the stage here uh, for the kind of economic development and community development that we would really like to see happen, a holistic approach. Um, so the budget is a moral document, and you will see a continuation of those themes. Uh, we want things to be fair for people. We want to reach communities that have not been invested in in recent decades in some cases. Uh, and we want to make sure that we are 
um, uh, addressing the big issues that set us up for a successful future. So investing in our workforce, investing in uh, revitalizing downtowns, trying to find ways to that to solve that really difficult um, issue of long-term investment in our mm-hmm. infrastructure. So those are some of the things that we'll be focused on, and you'll see in the budget. Yeah, it, it helps to have a lot of money to do it those does. things. <laughs> we are in a in an unprecedented situation, I feel like, here in Michigan right now with the amount of money that's around. And you got to be careful, of course, because mm-hmm. some of it's one-time money. It's not always going to be there. Right. But talk about what opportunities that gives us to do things that mm-hmm. maybe we hadn't uh, been able to do before. Yeah, I'll give you one really good example. We know that we've had for several years increasing pressure on uh, housing and people being able to afford a home in their price range, mm-hmm. whether that's low income or middle income. We're seeing a lot of folks really struggling finding the housing that they really want and need in the place they want to live that's close to work and school. So um, we have established with some of those dollars a a long-term fund with a regular source of revenue to address um, uh, housing on an ongoing basis. We know we can't solve this problem in just one year, so one budget wasn't really sufficient. We'll see things, um, if specific investments in this budget into housing in various places, but we will also see this longer term commitment through um, that dedicated source of revenue going forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk just a little about uh, your leadership in the Senate. Uh, uh, Democrats haven't had control of the Senate in a really long time. Uh, I I, I spoke with someone in Lansing right before uh, the new term started, and they said, you know, there's all this kind of apparatus that that gets built over time when one party has, uh, you know, control of a chamber for, for that long. And one of the questions when the other party gets control is whether they can build that apparatus fast enough to make sure that the chamber runs and that things get done. I have to say it's been impressive uh, in both houses how well that's come together for Democrats. Talk about that process, though, of, of rebuilding leadership uh, on the Democratic mm-hmm. side uh, in the Senate. Yeah, we're really um, building up those muscles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and um, to use another metaphor, we're building this plane as we fly it, right? right. Um, right. So, but, you know, the day after the election last fall, we were, um, we got right to work because we saw the, that we had achieved this trifecta and knew that that was going to provide incredible opportunities. So we needed to meet that moment with that organization. So we got to work right away putting together the, the staff uh, and the structure that we knew we needed to um, be successful. Uh, and we really had an ambitious policy agenda. So we needed to have that foundation of a good organization in place as quickly as possible. Um, so it was uh, certainly a challenge, uh, but we are are uh, feeling very good about where we are at. Uh, and I have to say, I've got great partners in the State House. Uh, Speaker Tate has been incredible to work with. Um, and, you know, he had the same challenges with more people. Uh, so it's, uh, we are just genuinely appreciative of um, all the hard work that they are doing as well. Um, and having the governor, uh, you know, be on our side is also just a huge asset for us in the trifecta. Yeah. Um, and I have a fantastic caucus, just really 
thoughtful um, Senate Democratic members from all over the state, um, really helping us get our our organization up and running um, and doing really good policy work all at the same time. Yeah. So the theme this week is the power of and and, uh, you know, this emphasis on collaboration and cooperation. How is that going in the legislature uh, with a Democratic majority that's pretty slim? And and there's going to be times when you will probably want to count on uh, Republican votes for things. But there may be also things that you can just kind of work on together. What does the power van look like in this legislature right now? Yeah, I think, you know, we want to be a majority for the people. That's every single person in our state. That's not just the Democrats. It's not just the places we represent. It's the whole state. Uh, In order to do that, we have to have um, good working relationships across the aisle. Uh, And it's certainly been a a huge change, a huge (laughs) shift uh, in power and how people approach that, both from the minority and the majority as we swap places. Uh, But we have been really working hard to build those relationships so that we can have those conversations. Uh, But there should be no exceptions to a majority for the people. We should be able to do policy that really makes a difference in people's lives. Whether you're experiencing rural poverty or urban poverty, we know that we can do things together to address that. We know there are schools all over our state. There are cities and municipalities all over our state who really are relying on a good partnership with our state government. Mm -hmm. So we are um, really excited about those opportunities. And um, that's how it should be, right? We represent Uh, a variety of very diverse communities and uh, we owe it to our constituents to work together for their best interest. Budget is going to be done sometime, I hope, this summer, right? Definitely. We'll into the fall. Uh, what's next on the Democratic agenda? Yes. Uh, you, like I said, you've gotten a lot done already. There have to be other things, though, that uh, you're eyeing. Yeah, there are definitely other things. We know that uh, we have to implement some things from Proposal 1 and Proposal 2 on ethics, elections, integrity. Um, uh, so we'll be putting some statutes in place. We hope to see that stuff move, uh, a good portion of that move in June. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to finish the budget, as you mentioned. We will also be um, paying some attention to energy and climate policy. We know there are opportunities there. We've done some good work on attracting companies that help us move toward a, a, a friendlier climate future for our constituents. Um, but there's a lot more work to do there. We've got a, a package of bills out there. We'll, we'll start talking about that and seeing, seeing if we can move any of that. Uh, that may also be something that we revisit in the fall, but we're certainly eager to do that. It was um, one of the things that uh, could easily have been in our, our early priorities, but, you know, we only had so much bandwidth. So we're now looking at a, an entire, um, you know, next group of policy issues that we're going to uh, take a look at. I think you'll also see ethics and transparency things um, become uh, much, uh, get a lot more attention. They really deserve it. We, we have some new realities, new information. So we're not just going to pull out old bills from 10 years yeah. ago and, you know, that never got a hearing before and just sort of move them through the process. We're being very thoughtful about uh, the realities of our state um, and the abuses that we've seen in the past. And we're trying to address those in a thoughtful and comprehensive way. Uh, it's not a great time for ethics and transparency in, in state government. And, and it's right. been a long time yep. since we've been able to do anything. So I, I'm glad to hear that you yeah. guys will uh, turn some attention to that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Senator Wendy Brinks, Majority Leader of the, the Michigan Senate, a Democrat, 
Uh, great to have you here. What a pleasure and, uh, to join you. Great today. Have a good Mackinac. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue talking with leaders up here on Mackinac Island in a little bit. Mayor Mike Duggan of the city of Detroit is going to join us. Also, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. But next, we're going to talk with Armin Ratchian, who runs Teach for America in Detroit's public schools. They have some really interesting developments unfolding. Uh, stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET's live broadcast of Detroit Today from the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference is made possible by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. This is Detroit Today from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Uh, if you know anything about education in Detroit, you're familiar with a program called Teach for America. It's been around for quite a long time, and it attracts young, talented people to the teaching profession who might not otherwise think of themselves as teachers. I'm really pleased to be joined right now with the person who's responsible for Teach for America in the city of Detroit, Armen Harachin. Harachin. <laughs> see, I got it right. That's close. You got it. <laughs> Is with us. Armen, it's great to have you here. It's great to see you, Stephen. Yes. Thanks for having me this morning. I was going to say, we've been having these conversations for a long time. That's right. um, I'm really glad to have it, uh, another chance to have it here on Mackinac Island. But you guys have some news about some changes at Teach for America, and I want to just jump right in with that. I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, thanks so much, Stephen. You know, this week we launched the Teach Michigan Initiative. This is a statewide five-year initiative that invests deeply into the retention, development, and ideas of current educators across the state. You know, five years ago, when I first joined TFA, we've, we've recruited over 600 educators to Detroit, and they are doing incredible work in the education field and classrooms across the city uh, and beyond uh, today. Uh, but also when I landed, we realized there were lots of teachers in the city, both TFA affiliated and those teachers who weren't ever affiliated with TFA but are incredible educators, like my wife, for example, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my parents were educators in Detroit schools. Uh, and we thought, you know, we have a set of core competencies and uh, interests here around how we invest into educators. We have lots of history around that. So. Five years ago, we started piloting a set of programs, uh, two-year deep investments into educators who are high-impact educators, master teachers, mentor teachers, rising school leaders, and we've done that in Detroit now for four years, and that went really well. Uh, retention rates are 95% plus. Uh, today, we are the largest and most diverse pipeline of uh, national board certification candidates in the state of Michigan. Uh, and so we have an opportunity right now to deepen that investment statewide, and that's what the Teach Michigan initiative is all about. So you're talking about retention, which is the issue, I think, with uh, the recruitment and development of teachers, right? It's great to get people, young people who are excited to try out the teaching profession. It was the whole idea of Teach for America. But if you can turn them into long-term or even lifelong educators, uh, that's a much bigger victory. Talk about 
what the hurdles are, though, to doing that and the, the kind of things that you're trying to, I guess, push back against to make sure that, that people who have the interest and the ability actually stay. Yeah. You know, we, we get phone calls all the time around the teacher shortage. People call up TFA. They call up other organizations called College of Eds, right? We need teachers, right? Yeah. And we talk a lot about the teacher shortage and the pipelines into teaching. And, and the perspective we have is, you know, if, if we could stop losing teachers that we currently have right now, we wouldn't have such a teacher shortage problem. Mm -hmm. And that starts with how we value our educators. We have nearly uh, 100,000 educators right now, today, this morning, who woke up at 5 in the morning. And we're in their cars by 6, 6.30, again, like my wife did this morning. And, and they're heading into schools and they're doing this work. And, and yet their compensation has been stagnant. For the last 10 years, uh, bachelor's degree uh, educators 23% below other uh, careers right now or like professions. Uh, we, you know, sunsetting of the pension systems 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a whole generation of educators who don't have that guaranteed benefit anymore or healthcare benefits like we used to. And uh, you know, the, there's there's real need to give people career ladders and opportunities, not to get further away from the classroom right now. If you want career opportunities in education, you want to get paid a little bit more, you want greater leadership, you have to go into administration. And that's, I always joke about, you know, we would never ask the, the Dylan Larkin for the Red Wings to move, you know, you want to move, you want to advance in hockey, move out of the, move off the ice and move them into the general manager's box. <laughs> right. We would never do that. Uh, and we know the greatest bang for your buck in education, the greatest point of impact is, the, is, a, is a high quality educator with students. So this is all about saying, hey, we actually have great educators in the system right now. Yeah. We've got to value them more. We've got to keep them. Let's invest more deeply into them. Yeah. What about the relationship between TFA and the school districts, uh, particularly the Detroit School District? That has not always been uh, the rosiest of <laughs> relationships. Catch us up on how that is going now and, and what some of the challenges are there still. Yeah, this looks a lot different, again, than it has maybe traditionally. Mm -hmm. um, and. You know, those relationships with TFA sometimes ebb and flow based on what kind of teacher shortages there are. But, but again, five years ago, we started to invest more deeply in secondary STEM educators, for example, or special education educators, even early childhood educators. These are spots that we have perpetual uh, uh, challenges, retention challenges and, and shortages in. And, and again, for us, you know, um, education, as you know, we're in a state that really polarizes it politically. Yes. And, for us, we try to stay out of all that. And we just said, listen, like a real high quality educator, and by the way, anybody can be a high quality educator if, if, if again, they're invested into and supported in the right way. We need those educators at scale. Like, we need lots of those educators. And so for us, we're working with Detroit Public Schools and, and, and this expansion, the Teach Michigan Initiative, we're launching uh, relationships, partnerships, where we'll invest deeply in educators. Again, current educators that are in seat. Um, that the districts are identifying, that they're raising their hands saying, I want to be part of this investment. Sault Ste. Marie Public Schools, Kentwood Public Schools on the west side, Lansing Public Schools, and uh, Saginaw Public Schools, and uh, Benzie County and Traverse City area, right? These are all areas all around the state who are having challenges retaining educators. Yeah. Um, so we're coming in and partnering with long, right alongside of them. Stephen, I'll share the, the other key component here. So we know we'll reach... Our goal is to reach over 700 educators over the next five years, deep investment, almost $60 million of investing directly into them. And, and this, this includes direct compensation in their pockets, yeah. by the way. We can yeah. get to that in a minute. Um, but it also is we, we've, we've partnered with an evaluator, a research partner, Education Policy Innovation Collaborative out of Michigan State University. 
because what we really have to do here is study what's working and what's not around teacher retention, teacher development, and capture that stuff and codify it in policy in the state budget so that we get ourselves out of, you know, we're, we're constantly treating the symptoms of this teacher shortage. We've got to get a bigger plan here. Uh, to address this broader chronic issue that we have. Yeah, uh, let's talk just a little about the kind of practical end of this. You mentioned the fact that this puts money in some teachers' pockets. I think that's an important detail, but but how does the rest of it work as well? Yeah, there's really three components of the program that we're investing in. It's a three-year investment into an educator. Uh, that we're investing into educators at all levels, so those educators that are mid-career, high-impact educators who are raising their hands saying, I want to pursue national board certification. We're going to invest deeply into the process of that in a cohort. Um, we're investing into rising, aspiring leaders. So those folks that say, I want to be, I want to lead other adults. I want to be a teacher leader. I want to be a school leader. And then those folks that are in their early point of their career between three and five years this is a point where we lose a lot of educators in our systems. Mm -hmm. They're through those first two years of induction and how do we really stabilize and, and get them to that next level. Um, mm -hmm. There are three major components. The three components, Stephen, are uh, direct financial incentives. We know our teachers are are um, uh, undercompensated right now, so we're making a, uh, a three-year investment into them that includes up to $35,000, including at the end of that third year, a $15,000 retention bonus as they stay. Wow. Um, so the point here is you've got all this development. You're a high-impact educator. You're growing in your leadership. We don't want to lose you right now. Uh, the second component is professional development. We do a lot of uh, uh, experiential learning, direct coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, all in cohorts, a connected community. And the third is, I, you know, we, we're, we're launching an innovation fund. And, and what's critical about this is, there are a lot of people who sit out here at the island, right? Mm -hmm. like, like we all do, uh, uh, <laughs> who pontificate about what's wrong with our education system and, and what we need to do differently. And, and our perspective is, the experts who are best positioned to answer that question are doing the work every day They're right now. The They're in the classroom. Yeah. And so we're going we're gonna to ensure that they have access to innovation funds so that they can build a better system for their students and the other educators around them. We, we really know that the system needs, uh, you know, really full of great people, good students, families, mm -hmm. educators, but the systems aren't working. So, so now is the time to update those systems and we have to trust the educators to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Arman Harachin of Teach for America and Teach Michigan. Great to have you here for, with us for uh, Detroit Today. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Steve, and look forward to future conversations. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Mike Duggan, the mayor of the city of Detroit. He's going to talk about what he's doing up here on Mackinac Island and some of the things that he's facing in the city. A little later, we're also going to be joined by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, who is also up here. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
today from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the 2023 Mackinac Policy Conference. Every year, political and business and philanthropic and media leaders all gather here to talk about the things that are going on in the state of Michigan and the city of Detroit and all around uh, our state. Uh, we are talking this year about the power of and. That is the theme of the conference, this idea that collaboration and cooperation maybe works a little better than the hyper-partisanship or the worst things that we see uh, in politics in particular right now. Uh, we're joined now by somebody who thinks a lot about the power of and and uh, is in the hot seat quite a bit <laughs> to, to make decisions. Uh, Mike Duggan is the mayor of the city of Detroit, uh, three times now elected as mayor of the city of Detroit. Mike, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, morning, Stephen. It's good to be back at Mackinac. Yes. Uh, uh, so let's start. I start with everybody this way. What are you doing this week up here on Mackinac? What is your agenda? You know, I'm catching up with old friends. I've been coming up here forever, for, for upwards of 30 years and uh, yeah. gotten to know people on the porch here decades ago. And it's just good to catch up and spend relaxing time. I think you've probably been coming up just as long. 16 years is okay. for me. Yeah. Um, uh, you have some specific things you want to talk about up here uh, with folks. Uh, but but uh, I want to start with population, which you have been really heated about over the last couple of, of weeks as we've seen new numbers that suggest uh, we're not growing population. I remember when you said that you wanted to be judged uh, exclusively, really, on the idea of, of growing population. I said to you then, I thought that was a really risky proposition because there's so many things that go into that equation that you don't really have control over. You said, look, that's the, that's the standard. That's the standard that matters. What do you say about that standard now? I think, I think it's the only standard that matters. So, so does that mean it's a failure? Well, I would say people in the city have judged me the way they've judged me, but uh, there are very few neighborhoods in this city that you go into today that people can't point to the house that was vacant 10 years ago that a family's moved in. Uh, and I was just in Grandmont to uh, kick off an apartment building being rehabbed, and the neighbors were saying 15% of the houses in this area were vacant 10 years ago. Now they're all full. I don't think the average person in Detroit believes this population is going down, but people are judging me uh, based on what they're seeing with their own eyes. So you eyes. still really dispute the numbers. Oh, yeah, but the good news is now uh, they, they do an estimate, right? Uh, and they have refused to give us the formula that they use for the estimate, which you have always been able to challenge the estimate, and they give you the so-called derivation sheet. But if you think about a, uh, a one-year estimate, it's birth rate, death rate, and net migration. Those are the only three pieces. We know what the birth rate and death rate are. Somehow, the feds have used some data to say 8,000 people moved out where there's buildings going up everywhere. Uh, and so a year ago, we sued them. They wouldn't give us the data. They said, we'll give you the data after we release the May uh, 23 estimate. Well, now they've released the May 23 estimate. They're going to have to show us what formula they used. And, uh, and we'll deal with it uh, from there. If I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. But they have concealed this formula like it was the formula to classic Coke. Uh, I'm very anxious to see what's behind their numbers because I don't believe them. So let's put the, the, the methodology and the data aside for a second. There are absolutely neighborhoods where people are moving in and, and things are getting a lot better. 
there are also neighborhoods where we still see people leaving. We still see a decline. So I, I, I want to have you talk about the things that you think drive those decisions. What makes people want to come to Detroit or stay in Detroit? And what is making people want to leave? Well, it's the same issues they've been for a long time. It's crime, it's schools, it's cost of, uh, uh, of living in the city. Uh, and, and, of course, it's been blight, although we've dramatically cut the blight in the neighborhoods. Um, but we're trying to change that quality of life uh, every day, and we're doing it uh, block by block. And uh, we've got, I don't know, 200 more block clubs. I mean, neighborhoods come back so much faster when the neighbors are involved and they say, okay, let's take those vacant land bank uh, uh, lots, let's create a beautiful garden, let's create a farm for the neighborhood, let's create a parklet, and more and more, uh, of course, we're giving out lots of grants for this, but we're seeing neighborhoods, block club leaders, take back what they want. And I think that's been, uh, been very successful. There's also a lot of, you know, I, I was talking earlier today with someone who was talking about the population growth statewide, which is also uh, slowed significantly. I mean, it's growing, but it's not as fast as some other states. And they were talking about the role that immigration is, is playing in that. And it's, I think that's an underreported story in the city. And if you look, in fact, at the census tracts, uh, that over a 10-year period, we, we've seen growth. A lot of them are in places where we see lots of immigrants. Uh, what do you see with regard to the role that uh, immigration is playing in, in the next iteration of Detroit? Well, we had 300 Afghan families move into the city last year, and uh, uh, we placed them all in apartments and houses, and, uh, and most of them are working. A number of them went to work for DDOT, cleaning the buses. We had the cleanest buses we've had in a long time. But I'd go back and look at this. 30 years ago, the population of Hamtramck was 20,000 and the population of Highland Park was 20,000. Mm -hmm. Today, the population of Hamtramck is 20,000 and the population of Highland Park is 8,000. And you could see side by side a city that has embraced immigration and a city that for whatever reason, immigrants didn't move to. But immigration has historically uh, been a driving uh, factor in Detroit's development and uh, you know I was when uh, President Obama was bringing in Syrian refugees I was his national spokesperson among mayors where we we uh, welcomed the Syrian refugees into the city of Detroit and we had no problems moved into houses they had no problems they were accepted by their neighbors and so the immigration needs to be legal uh, but I'm a very uh, pro-immigration mayor. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about crime. It's about to be summer in Detroit. That's when we typically see at least uh, a little more crime than, than normal. We're also in the middle of, you know, uh, I think a, a difficult time dealing with crime in the city. Uh, shootings and, and murder and, and other kinds of violent crimes are, are a continuing problem. What do we do about that? Well, the, the shootings as of this morning are uh, almost identical, both uh, homicides and shootings, as to last year at this yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, but the, the way we're going to be judged is the summer. And I think you're going to get a report card on Chief White and his leadership this summer. I am very optimistic it's going to be a good uh, report card. Um, what, we, what makes you optimistic about that? What is so he doing? You got, you've got about 10 different things that are, I believe are going in the right direction. One is we're hiring more cops. I mean, 
he had 300 vacancies in January. Now he's got less than 200 by September. He'll have 100 by the end of the year. They'll be full. That came out of the $10,000 raise we gave the officers at the end of last year. But you also have the circuit court and the district court who have now got their dockets after basically three years of non-functioning during COVID where criminal cases weren't being handled. They are doing a great job of catching up. Prosecutor Worthy uh, and Warren Evans uh, have really taken a lead on the county side, making sure there's enough prosecutors. Sheriff of Washington is helping pick up absconders. The U.S. attorney is putting federal resources in. Uh, and uh, the governor has got people cracking down on people who are skipping out on probation and parole. All these things are happening at once. Uh, and uh, it's everybody can hear about plans. As far as I'm concerned, you are what your record says you are. And uh, I, I have never seen so many strategies so well integrated. And we're going to get a report card this summer. But, I, you know, I talk to Chief White every morning, particularly on the weekends. I'm so impressed with the strategy they've executed downtown. Uh, it's, it's been very effective. But then something pops up in Rouge Park. We're going to have a strategy next weekend for the gatherings in the parks. Uh, and we're just going to keep going. If that report card is not good, then what? Then I'm going to figure out what resources he needs uh, and figure out how to get them. But the amount of time I spend in a room with Warren Evans, with Prosecutor Worthy, with, with Circuit Chief Judge Frizzard, District Chief Judge McConnell, U.S. Attorney Dawn Eisen, we have a level of cooperation that I've never seen. I was prosecutor. We didn't have this level of cooperation with other agencies. Um, I just think it's going to work. But it isn't a police department alone. It's a whole criminal justice system has to function. And we benefit uh, from having a former sheriff and police chief as the county executive sure. driving the county side. Uh, and so we're going to see, we're going to see how it goes. But as I say, uh, you know, let's have this conversation in September, and we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, quickly, do you want to give us a little preview of your presentation up here? You always make pretty big. You know, I'd like to cut taxes on homeowners in Detroit. I'd yeah. like to cut taxes on businesses in Detroit, and I'd like to raise them on the people who have abandoned their lots and their buildings. Yeah. Split rate. I keep hearing it over and over. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mayor Mike Duggan, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Great Thanks to see you up on Mackinac. Okay. When we come back, we're going to hear from Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, who's also up here at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the annual Mackinac Policy Conference, a chance for folks from around the state to gather together to talk about our challenges, our successes, maybe a little about our failures. We've got a really special guest right now. Garland Gilchrist is a native Detroiter and is the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Michigan. Garland, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's good to be here with you and the listeners and to be here on a week where we actually have good weather. I was going to say, it's I mean, I have been coming here for a really long time, of course, and I don't remember 
an opening of the conference where the weather was quite like this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, that's great. Just hope no rain later. Um, so I, I always start with folks telling me a little about what they're planning to do or what they're expecting to happen this week. Uh, I think that's one of the big questions people uh, back home always have. What are they doing out there? So w- what's on your agenda? Sure. So there are so many people here who are doing amazing things and trying to think big about the future of the state of Michigan. And so I'm proud to be here and to be part of that with Governor Whitmer. And we're talking about what we think are the most important ideas. And, and right now, you know, the biggest thing on my mind is what we can do to make sure that people see Michigan as the best place to be their best self. And that means how do we make sure people who are currently in Michigan see a future for themselves in Michigan? And we also want to make sure that people who are not currently in Michigan, whether they are in another part of the country or another part of the world, that they see Michigan as a place to build their best future. That's something that's very personal to me as a person who, as you as you alluded to, it was born and spent the first half of my childhood in, on the east side of Detroit and the second half of my childhood in the northwest suburbs and graduated from Michigan, but then went away from the state for nine years before coming home to build my family and my future here. So we want to make that available and true for people from all types of backgrounds and all types of interests. And the governor and I have worked on a lot of policies that we think create the pathway for that, but there's more to do, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I I want to talk a little later about uh, some of the uh, policy initiatives that you guys have been able to get through. It's been a pretty uh, frenetic pace, I think, uh, since January. But but before we get there, I want to have you react to something that I heard recently uh, about population here in in Michigan. Uh, We are 49th out of 50 states in population growth right now. Now, it's a little bit of a deceiving number. I mean, there's a lot more going on underneath it, I think, in terms of uh, immigration and and things like that. But that's not where we want to be. Why are we there? And what do we need to do to move up up the ladder? Well, first of all, I think everyone sort of being aligned around that being a problem we want to solve, I think is important. I don't know that everyone statewide had been focused on what do we need to do to keep people here and to attract people here to the state of Michigan. So that's the first thing is that alignment is important. And I think this whole conference here and then this, the notion of you know the power of and what can we do together, I think is going to help with that. You know, ultimately, this is about, again, people seeing themselves in the future. And, and you know, talking about the things that we've done even just this year uh, on the policy front, making sure that people can see that they will be safe here. Yeah. That's why the stuff on reproductive freedom and choice was so important. Make sure that people see that they will be respected and protected under the law. That's why the expansion of the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to cover the LGBTQ plus community explicitly was really important. Making sure that people could see uh, a chance for themselves to retire here by ending the retirement tax that had been a scourge on people for more than 12 years was important. And making sure that, again, we're putting money in working families' pockets so they don't feel like they can be more prosperous in another, in another part of the country, which is why the working families tax credit matters. So all of these things, I think, are building blocks for um, that kind of retention. And then I think on attracting people, you know, you know me, I'm a technologist by training. Yep. I'm a software developer. <laughs> That's where my career is, where my heart is. And I've been leading an effort to land a regional technology hub from the federal government here in the state of Michigan to really revitalize our innovation economy that has grown a great deal since I left college. Yep. And had that been at the state it is today, you know, I wouldn't have left Michigan to go to the West Coast. I'd have been able to start a software company here. I'd have been able to get a job in that industry here. And so we want more people to feel that possible. And folks with those that kind of training, um, they're going to play a big role in the economy of Michigan going forward that's going to help our population grow. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the story you hear from so many people about their kids 
growing up here, uh, we all say, boy, I wish, I wish they'd stay. I wish they'd go to college and come back here. And for so many of us, that's just not possible because of what they're doing. Uh, or they don't know what's possible. Well, it's a unifying thing. I'm glad you said that. So when, whether I'm speaking to, to families on the west side of Detroit where I live now or in Munising in the Upper Peninsula, um, you know, families want their kids to see a pathway for success in the state of Michigan. And we need to do some work to make that happen. And I'm thinking about our communities in the Upper Peninsula. It's like, you know, they're worried that because they don't have a good internet that their kid's not going to be able to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so that's right. why we got to invest in that infrastructure. And so I think, again, us being aligned around that challenge as an opportunity to problem solve together is something I'm really excited to do. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned some of the things, policy initiatives that uh, the administration has been able to get done now that there is democratic control of both houses uh, of the legislature and, of course, the democratic governor. Um, I wonder what's next. Uh, uh, budget, of course, still looms out there. Uh, I, I assume that will go better this year than it has in, in past years because there's more unity around it. But, but when we get past that, What's what's next on the agenda? Well, I don't want to walk past the budget yeah. for two reasons. One, it's I mean, not that well, you know, easy, you know, right? look, look. I mean, I we, we have like we, we have button. we have majority <laughs> allies that I'm so thankful to the voters for giving us. You know, legislation is still complicated, yeah. and so we're we're negotiating with the legislature. We're proud of where we're going to land because ultimately, you know, we have big opportunities to do things like really address hunger in our state and in our cities by making sure that every kid has free breakfast and free lunch mm-hmm. um, at school. Uh, just as an example, something I'm really excited about. Really, so we have a program called Michigan Reconnect that provides uh, a tuition-free pathway to a community college degree for everybody over 25. We propose actually lowering the eligibility age for that to 21. It's going to make 300,000 more people have instant access to free community college. You know, whether it's the the Michigan Achievement Scholarship, which is going to make college more affordable by thousands of dollars for four out of five entering entering college freshmen in the fall. I mean, this is game-changing stuff for educational attainment, which I know is a big question at this conference. But I think going forward, we still have important things we need to address. As, as I'm looking out the window here, I see our, our Great Lakes. Um, we have been blessed, and we must take the responsibility of stewardship very seriously. And so a year ago, the governor and I introduced the My Healthy Climate Plan. We're proud that the legislature has introduced legislation to codify that plan and maybe even go a step further on how we are responding to the climate crisis, how we are making Michigan an amazing place for people who are pursuing, or excuse me, fleeing the climate challenges from other parts of the country and of the world. And so we're, we're happy to see that codified, you know, coming after the budget for sure. I'm also, um, again, looking forward to more policies that we can enact that will enable more people to have access to money to, to start businesses, uh, especially people who've been historically locked out of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really proud of our Michigan Economic Opportunity Fund that I spearheaded. That is a $10 million fund for, for women entrepreneurs, for black entrepreneurs, people of color, people with disabilities who literally could not get a bank loan. But thanks to the partnership of the state of Michigan, the state, the state small business credit initiative from the Biden-Harris administration, uh, the uh, women internet, uh, Women's Forum. Um, Huntington Bank, now people can get those loans to, to expand their hair salon or to start their tech company. And I think that kind of those kind of things are what we're going to build on um, going forward. Yeah. Uh, before I have to let you go, I want to talk a little about the city of Detroit. You are a Detroiter, a native Detroiter. You live here, raising your kids here as well. Um, uh, there's a lot going on up here around Detroit and, and some reforms that the mayor wants to, to enact. But, uh, but the population question looms pretty large over Detroit as well. I mean, we're, we're down again. And uh, the mayor, when he first ran, <clears throat> said that he, he wanted to be judged by 
the population growth, that's not a, that's not a great measure right now. Uh, what can the state be doing uh, to help with you know, things like tax reform in the city of Detroit, which, which have a lot to do with why people live there or don't, uh, but also population, which ties in into all of those questions. Well, just, just I mean, to say, you said I, I live in Detroit right now. My children go to Detroit public schools. My baby girl will start kindergarten, I mean, first, excuse me, kindergarten at Detroit public school uh, in the fall. This is not a theoretical exercise to me, the future of the community that I live in and the state that I live in. Um, I also know that our administration, even uh, with the Republican legislature and now with the Democratic one, has uh, put more support financially behind the city of Detroit than any of our predecessors, um, because that's how much we care about the city as a, as a driver of the state's future. And these investments that we are making, investments in place, investments in infrastructure, investments in internet access, investments in access to healthcare, investments in better health outcomes, mm -hmm. the record amount of funding we put into Detroit public schools and public education in the state of Michigan, these are laying the foundation for people to again see that this is a, a viable place to build build a family, and that's where we need people to stay. So we're going to continue to do that. But I also am excited about the things we're doing on the, on the sort of sort of more bleeding edge in Michigan Central Station. Like there's a, there's a, something that happens every weekend in the Book Depository Building. Um, uh, these black tech founders mm -hmm. meet up every Saturday night, organically, hundreds of people who have ideas, who are young professionals, who are energetic and hungry. And these are people who didn't live in Detroit before but want to live in Detroit now. And I'm not talking about people who are gentrifying anything. I'm talking about people who are coming and, um, and, and contributing to the community. We want to spin up more hubs like that, not just at the train station, but in more parts of the city. And I'm super excited about what that can be and what it can represent. And I think that, you know, we have an opportunity in Detroit to be a city that grows equitably. I don't think any other city that's tried to grow has been mindful of the equitable opportunities that we have. But I think we can do it. We can do it right. Our, our, our state housing plan includes significant investments in affordable housing, more, more in our community development fund we ever have invested, $250 million. A lot of that's going to go to places where people live, yeah. like Detroit, to build homes, to rebuild homes, to make homes more affordable. But also we're preparing people for the job so they can afford homes. We can build affordable housing and more people can afford houses. Like that's the plan that we want to do to make sure that we can grow places like Detroit. And so the state has a role to play on that from financing. The state has a role to play on that from a tax policy perspective. And I look forward to seeing everybody's proposals on what that can look like. Yeah. yeah. So last time I talked to you at a policy conference was in Detroit. And I asked you then about the open Senate seat next year. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> and you said, you were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about it, you said, with your family. And it turns out you're not, as far as I know, going to pursue that. But uh, there's a mayor's race the year after that. And then there's a governor's race the year after that. So tell me what's going through your mind about your future right now. I appreciate that. To be clear, I have made it public that I'm not running for the You United are not States running Senate. for the Senate. Yes. <laughs> so I want to end that speculation. Um, but you know, Stephen, I got to say, this is my first elected office. And I have enjoyed public service so much. Uh, being able to have license, frankly, to go to any place in the state of Michigan and talk to people about what's most important to them and how I can help. And I have loved that. I've been able to show my children things that I'd never seen. I never saw the Upper Peninsula as a kid. My kids, my kids have connected with children in the Upper Peninsula. <laughs> it's great. And so this idea of statewide service is, is uh, amazing to me. To be able to, as an engineer, to solve problems on that level mm -hmm. um, is invigorating. And so I see my, my public service continuing at the state level. All right. All right. Garland Gilchrist, Lieutenant Governor of the state of Michigan. Always great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us on uh, Mackinac. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be with you.
That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow with more from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.